Tears Monster Pods are brought to you by In The Money Plus. This is our extra service to get even more information on the Breeders' Cup special podcasts, special write-ups, grid picks from In The Money talent, etc. We do this all year long, not just for the Breeders' Cup, with in-depth analysis daily for special meets like Saratoga and Del Mar. And we've got a really cool offer for you right now. You can also save $300 on a Racelens annual subscription and receive a free one-year subscription to In The Money Plus to get all those exclusive podcast picks and other handicapping content. Go on ahead to inthemoneypodcast.com slash racelens to find the promo code to save that $300 on an annual race lens subscription. And if you just want to get in the money plus go to in the money slash plus. Hello and welcome to our Breeders' Cup Friday Monster Pod. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital. Happy to be back with you, actually recording this year up at the Little House on the east side. We've got a great lineup. So without further ado, we are going to get to our special guests. We've got $1 million up for grabs in the juvenile turf sprint. And to talk about it with us, a person who's been with us talking about this race, I think, ever since we started doing... Monster Pods, you might know them from Jeopardy. You might know them from the trivia shows we've done here on In The Money Media. They are Rowan Ward. Rowan, what's going on? Probably about the same thing that's going on with you and a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast, which is to say Breeders' Cup, Breeders' Cup, and more Breeders' Cup. (laughs) (laughs) We'll limit our discussions today to this juvenile turf sprint. Where should our conversation begin? Well, I think our conversation should begin with a horse who's currently on the not eligible list but with two horses who have first preference elsewhere in the main field she'll get to the main field because she's first on the also's list or the not eligible list or whatever you want to call it and that's amidst waves i think there's a lot of speed in this race most of the horses in the main field are best proven either on or near the lead and what's interesting is you know, there's not a huge sample to come from, but the first few years it was American Speed Wire to Wire, American Speed Wire to Wire. Last year, it wasn't. Like, last year it fell apart and you had horses coming from the back. And I think this year's could set up pretty similarly to that. And I think Amidst Waves would have won that Indian summer if not for having to alter behind some traffic in the lane missed by only a nose to the improving committee of one who is also worth talking about i think committee of one has a shop here or shot here but i think amidst ways can get a jump on the closer closers while still not being burned up in the pace and i think it's going to be a price you know george weaver has a few really nice turf sprinters this year and this isn't the one who went to Royal Ascot. This is the one who's drawn in from the also's lost the last race. I say lost. Cause I really do think it's one of those too good to lose. And like I said, got nosed out by committee of one after some trip trouble. Um, that said committee of one, I think fits pretty well too. Um, a big question I have about committee of one is I don't love the cut back to a flat five. That mm-hmm. Indian summer was five and a half. And I like amidst waves at five a little better than committee of one who I think I'd like better more at five and a half, six, something like that. Um, as far as other horses, like the favorite, the favorite is probably going to be, be big Evs. who's yes. a class, but you know, European speed. And how often is that really going to make it over American speed? You look at the previous juvenile turf sprints and even look at Royal Ascot races when American speed goes and, American speed knows how to hit the gas and go in a way that a lot of the European speed doesn't quite. So I see kind of an underlay with big Evs. Um, Crimson Advocate, who won at Royal Ascot, more speed, but again, lots of speed this race. And horse hasn't run since Royal Ascot. So was, uh, you know, is obviously a quality horse, was a divisional leader 
in June, but four and a half months is forever in two-year-old time. Yeah, that's exactly um, right. <laughs> and, you know, if you're looking at a speed horse, the one I find a little more interesting is Slider. Um, he is West Coast speed in a, pa- in a race with a lot of pace, but he's shown he can fight up front. He even broke his maiden in more of a stock and pounce sort of way than just like hit the lead and go. So he's in good form. He's local. He's got a little bit of a tactical gear that he's shown. So if you're going to throw a speed horse in, you know, I don't know. I have a little bit of a type. I do really like Jimmy Creed's sprinting on turf. And I think Slider's another nice one in that mold. Handles five. Um, it's proven to be tactical. So he's the speed I'd throw in. And then if you want to go a little deeper with anybody, just kind of sprinkle in those trifectas, superfectas. Um, maybe Pearls and Rubies. I don't love Aiden O'Brien's record in the juvenile turf sprint, but... I think she's one who can kind of get a setup and run in for one of those lower pieces late. And if it goes deeper down that not eligible list, one horse I'm really keen to draw in, particularly for those, you know, exotic horses is we're going back to the Indian summer here with shards. He missed by a neck in that Indian summer. Um, Seems like, I think Indian summer is probably going to turn out to be a key race here just because the, those top three horses in that race have the right running style for this race. So assuming that shards doesn't get into the main field because everybody in their mother who has early speed defected, he could get a piece if he gets in. When looking at this race, obviously, as you pointed out, George Weaver has an extremely strong hand. You make a great case about amidst waves, maybe having this race run to suit. But what about no-name Mets as a potential speed of the speed type horse in here? What I like about no-name Mets when I look at the form is just we know where this horse has been. And it's been on the racetrack and it's been improving all the time. Do you give no-name Mets much count? Oh, I think No Name Mets is I think No Name Mets is one of the better speed horses. You know, I mentioned Crimson Advocate just in the context of a horse who's going to take a lot of money because of the name Royal Ascot. But if you want to throw a speed horse in there other than Slider, there's definitely an argument for No Name Mets. Um, and I think he's probably going to be, he's certainly going to be more of a price than Crimson Advocate and maybe even more of a price than Slider because, you know, you look at the races and it's like the Tyro, the Rosies, they're not, you know, the like fancy graded level races. And he only ran ninth behind Valiant Force at Royal Ascot, but, you know, he's raced more recently than Crimson Advocate and he is going to find speed. And, you know, you can argue from his performance in the Rosies that, He's another one who can battle and go on. So especially if the turf is playing very speedy, you know, watch, obviously, you know, there's, there's only, there's only so much you can watch, but like, if it seems to be playing very speedy in those days leading into future stars Friday, there's certainly an uh, an argument for no name Mets being among the better of the speed here. Great stuff, Ron. Well, we appreciate you coming on, giving your high-level thoughts on the juvenile turf sprint uh, for for another year. And uh, we'll be on the lookout for more great content from you uh, in the trivia realm and the horse racing realm. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Next up, we have the $2 million juvenile fillies, one of the most exciting races of the whole weekend. And we bring in to chat about it a familiar face and voice. Brittany Erton. Brittany, how are things? Ah, things are wonderful. I mean, you can really feel the excitement, right? That we are in the heat of Breeders' Cup. I cannot wait the two biggest days of racing. So always a pleasure to jump on board here. So thanks for having me. When I asked you to come on and talk about this race, you said something to me to the effect of, well, I asked you to talk about the the right race this year. (laughs) What is it you're so excited about this year's Juvenile Phillies? Oh, come on. Everybody's going to know. It's Beholder's baby, Tamara. I love Beholder. She might be one of my favorite horses all time. I had the pleasure of covering her, you know, front and center next to Richard Mandela. She won the TVG Pacific Classic. I mean, throughout her entire career, it was just such a joy to watch. You never know, though, what kind of 
uh, producer that type of mare is going to be. I mean, we've seen it before. Zenyatta's babies haven't really come to fruition as being the talented runner like she is. But Tamara, oh my goodness, I think she could be a superstar in the making. She has big shoes to fill. But as of yet, she's done nothing to disappoint us. Just get us excited about what more is to come. When did you first become aware of her? Was this one you were following from, you know, the days on the ground or did it take a little bit longer to hear about her? It took her first race, I'll be honest. I watched her and we covered her very first full QB1. And then, of course, Teeniella went on to win a stakes race. And so we've known about her babies and they've all shown a, a bit of talent. But I didn't know anything about Tamara until she debuted. And then you knew a lot about her. <laughs> what were your first impressions? Uh, wow. And how special is this? How special is this for Spendthrift, for Richard Mandela, for the entire team, considering I had read this earlier that the late B. Wayne Hughes, he really wanted to match up Beholder and Bolt to Oro. It was something that he thought was going to be a great matchup and, and sadly passed away a few years ago. But like for him to have, you know, to be watching from above this horse run to the fruition of what he thought it could be and to be named after his daughter, Tammy, it's just the whole story is really special and she's talented. No doubt about it. In the hands of a normal, you know, a, 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 your average horse trainer, I might be a little bit nervous about this idea of going from the seven furlongs off this break to a test like the Breeders' Cup. For some reason, my inclination when it's uh, Richard Mandela making the call is to, to just sort of defer and say, in Mandela, we trust. From what you've seen of Tamara, how concerned are you about the time between races and the added distance in this race? Not at all, because of what you just said. I mean, it's the 20th anniversary of Mano Mandela. He knows how to get a horse primed and ready for the Breeders' Cup. And so the fact that he chose to not run in the chandelier doesn't bother me in the slightest, because he's obviously treating each horse as an individual, treating her as an individual and saying, okay, you know what, let's have the time between races, even though it didn't even look like she took a breath in her most recent star winning the debutante. Uh, it's a concern at a short price, right? For horse players, how how much can you trust a horse doing something new for the first time at a very short price? But she has the makings of getting two turns. Mike Smith has said everything that we've seen in the morning in terms of her works and her gallop out, the way that she's finishing indicates that she can get two turns. And if Mandela thinks that she doesn't need that underneath her belt, then I trust him as well. <laughs> who are we to question? Uh, when the man who, who, he wins this race every so often, and it's about time. You already answered what my next one was going to be. It had to do with how she's looked since, and if you have any kind of a read on her current condition, sounds like all systems go. Yeah, just based off of what Mike has had to say, saying that she's a very, very special filly, and obviously he's felt that in her races, but to notice that in her morning works to sense a continued progression, because that's what's big with two-year-olds, right? I'm not saying that she is a lock. She does feel like one of the locks of the two days, but with two-year-olds, why we've seen so many upsets over the years in these races is because any horse can step forward at any given time. There's so much room for improvement. But isn't that a scary thought if she still has room for improvement? It really is. Didn't exactly scare a ton of other uh, fillies away. It looks like it's going to be close to a big full field, if not a full field in this spot. If she is to get upset, Tamara, mm -hmm. what direction would your eye be looking from this far out? Well, I would say, and, and I'm surprised as well, that so many horses are stacking up against her. Maybe it is because she hasn't gone the two turns yet. Maybe it's the $2 million. Who knows? It's the Breeders' Cup. Everybody wants to be involved. Candid is going to be the obvious. And what she obviously has that uh, Tamara does not is the experience around two turns. I did not love her finish in the Alcibiades, hanging on the wrong lead most of the race. But maybe that's just a quirk of her. She is a young horse. Um, when you talk about the horses out west, a uh, chattelist, not the fastest run race, not the biggest buyer speed figure number, but she's got pace and she's got experience over the track. And I think that those two things can be very dominant. You know, who's an interesting one for me that's still a maiden is scalable for Todd Fletcher. You're going to get a big price on this runner and for him to ship this horse out West to run in a graded stakes race as a maiden, he obviously sees that there is a positive future for this horse and is giving her a chance. So there are probably a myriad of directions that you could go if you think Tamara can be beat. 
One I did want to mention and get your impression on is Vivi's dream mm -hmm. as one to me who looked like might be headed in the right direction. Do, do you think she might be headed in the right direction enough to potentially land a blow against this talented field? She might have had the perfect prep. You know what I mean? Just the horse that is slowly inching and, and gradually getting better because you want them to peak on that day, right? On Future Stars Friday, that's when you want them to peak. You don't want them to have already run their best race. And so if this is a horse that's progressively getting better, yes, a, a one more step forward, the numbers in between Tamara and the rest of the field, it's a big discrepancy right now. But like I said before, these are young horses. They could take a big jump forward. A horse like Just FYI for Bill Mott, I'm not sure what to make of that runner because of the fact it was over the slop last time out. So there's a lot of other factors with some other runners within the field that you question, but progression in the right direction, that's all we need, right, for a two-year-old? Indeed. And I do think any case for anybody to step up and win this race does involve Tamara probably having to take a step back. But this is horse racing and stranger things have happened. For me, though, Tamara, one of the horses on the whole day, I'm most mm -hmm looking forward to betting. And it sounds like it's the same for you, Brittany. Now it, it's just more for the story. You know, I don't think you're going to get a price, get a great price on her, but just uh, can you imagine the emotion from the connections if she were to win, I believe 11 years after her mother did the exact same thing. It doesn't always pan out that way, but it feels like it's one of those fairy tale stories almost. So I, as a, a biased fan, because I love Beholder, would love to see her daughter win. Uh, but as a gambler, it might be a short price to take. So I would definitely throw some other horses underneath to get a get a decent price. Yeah, and I think we've covered a lot of the a lot of the the interesting ones potentially get in there. None more so for me than uh, than Vivi's Dream, who who we mentioned. And I thought your scalable as a long shot idea was interesting. Mm -hmm. Let us know where we can see more of you, Breeders' Cup Week, Brittany. Okay, well, really looking forward to being on both USA and NBC, both Friday and Saturday. We have unprecedented lengthy coverage on NBC, which is really, really great. So obviously the Classic will be the final show in our window, and then we'll move over to Peacock for the final two Breeders' Cup races. But we are going to be on NBC, main NBC, for hours on Saturday, which is phenomenal. And leading up into that, we have about four races, I think, off the top of my head on USA. So between the two channels, we will have everybody fully covered and set up for two phenomenal days of racing. Terrific. You doing anything during the week or uh, really prepping and getting ready for the weekend? Uh, mostly prep. I say it's a school night every night. So uh, <laughs> no fun to be had. No, I'm just kidding. I'm looking forward to going out in the morning, enjoying the breakfast show. Uh, got the post position draw. Um, Thursday, we're doing a betting show. So it's just a lot of just trying to soak up all of the information. You know, it's a lot. There are a lot of runners, a lot of races. But you got to have some fun, too, because that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Brittany, thank you so much. Thank you. If you, like me, are a fan of hats, you got to know about Christine Amor Millinery. They're going to be having a pop-up live at the Breeders' Cup. This is a chance to go and get fitted and get your own uh, very, very cool hat for the Breeders' Cup. They also, of course, make hats all year long over there. For men, it's the Blake Collection. And obviously, they're more known for uh, women's hats to take a look and see everything they've got going on. You can go to www.camhats.com and look for the Christine A. Moore Millinery pop-up at the Breeders' Cup. You'll probably see me there getting fitted for my next hat. The $1 million juvenile Phillies turf is up next. And to talk about it, we bring in a man I'm uh, pleased to call a colleague over at uh, Sky Sports Racing. He's been uh, doing form internationally, and he's always a pleasure to have on these airwaves. He's Callum Hallowell. Callum, how are things? I'm very good, Peter. How are you? Enjoying my time briefly back in the UK before shooting off to Saudi Arabia, but Sky have been keeping me plenty busy. So uh, looking forward to going through this race and discussing what on earth is going on across the Atlantic with your turf fillies, because this is, a, this is an issue. This is a crisis in my opinion, because they're awful. I can't believe we're going to be facing, facing these. We've not even sent over our best. We've left our best horse here. <laughs> it's not worth it. We'll send over our second stringers, and they should just be about to do the business, to be honest. I think Juvenile Philly Turf is coming back to Europe, or remaining in Europe, I should say. I do wonder if you might be underrating one uh, who was last seen up at the Natalma at Woodbine mm. in, uh, in, in Cheap Fields Pretty. This is a horse that I was pretty impressed by. And to me, looks like one 
who uh, who could have a little bit more to give. I'm not saying that you're wrong in the idea that the international Raiders would be, would be the favorites, but but don't be so fast to uh, to give up on that one. Well, I, I would agree with you, Peter, but I, I used in the time we, we did this last year and I foolishly followed the Americans. I said, I'm going to follow you guys. I believe in your affiliates. And what you're going to tell me was that there was strengths and depth in that field. And to me, there doesn't look to be as much strength and depth in the field of this the town that has happened this season. And she feels pretty, has absolutely bolted up and she's done it impressively. But Buchu or Buku, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, but she also won her last race impressively doing quite a similar thing coming wide and late and showing great stretch speed. So I can see there's definitely ability there, but the strength and depth of these fields looks really, really poor. These European horses, the, the, the French performer, La Pavotte, for example, was pumped by opera singer at, at, in um, Paris Longchamp on, uh, during the Arc Festival. But that form is strong. The way she ran suggests she's going to improve and do better. And she's a massive price today. So for me, there's just better strengths and depths in Europe than there is in America. And I just can't, I can't trust the Talma form. Once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> is La Pavotte the way that you're leaning in this race? Run us through the European contingent. Well, let's, let's start from the top. Carla's way um, to Simon and Ed Crisford. Great to see them having a runner at a big meeting like this. That's your five to two favourite at the moment in the UK market. Uh, for me, she's done everything right. She was really impressive last time out with Newmarket. The way she won over that mile going away was really quite impressive. I like the style in which she did that. And she's done nothing wrong and she's earned her place here. For me, I'm looking at the horse, the, the second favourite is Porta Fortuna, the Royal Ascot winner, who was a superstar then and then looked really to be struggling when she was stepping up a trip. But if you if you look at the bare four, you see the you see her stepping up to a mile, she gets beaten. You see her stepping beyond that sprint trip, you see her beaten. But if you watch the races, and that's what I always tell everyone, don't just look at the numbers, watch the races, because if you watch her run, she doesn't get first run on her opponents in her last trip over a mile. She comes right up the rail. She had a horse falling into her lap. She had to wriggle past that and then got up the rail and ran a really nice race. I think she'll get this trip. I think she's got a little bit more speed than Carla's way. We know how important speed is in the USA. Uh, definitely one of, of terrific interest and an interesting trend. You talk about the, the U.S. contingent. Well, how about this two, uh, the, the two that you just mentioned do have U.S. ownership, but choosing to, to exactly. campaign overseas and then bring here, which is an interesting, uh, interesting angle with Medallion Racing with Porta Fortuna and uh, Glen Hill Farm involved with uh, in, involved with La Pavot. Uh, what of the other uh, invaders? What sort of chance do you give them? Well, it's hard really to look outside of those three, to be honest, because they're the three that I think are going to go. There are, there are quite a few of those who are in there as possibilities and probable, but I don't think they're going to get the start. And for me, those three are the ones I really like. There's, there's, there's not much strength, and that's why I was so confused. When I looked at the market, I'm looking at, she feels pretty just third favourite. Hard to justify as your fourth favourite. Buchu is your fifth favourite. I'm looking, I'm, I don't want any of those. And that's why I'm drawn to Lapavots at 10s. If you can find Lapavots, if you dig around a little bit and try and search the value, you find her as big as 14, 15s in some places. But she'll shorten up when people work out what's going on in Britain. We take a little bit of time to adjust to these UK markets. And pre-entry is the thing we just do not understand. We're very confused about how pre-entries work, but we're getting it slowly but surely. So for me, I can't look outside of those three European contenders. I think the top of the market is where the strength is. I don't see much strength from below the market. And for me, the American Raiders, she feels pretty, is the most impressive. She is visually impressive. She looks like a big strapping filly or a big chestnut filly. She looks lovely. She covers the ground well. But what did she beat on that occasion? And is that form really strong deeper than the surface level of that really impressive victory? If I held your feet to the fire, Callum, to choose between the European Raiders, which direction would you go from this far out? I think Porta Fortuna for me. I think she's um, she's been campaigned really interestingly. I think that victory at Ascot was exciting and, and good to see. She did that from the front. I think she's going to do this very differently, but I think she's got speed to which Carla's way may not have. And I think that speed will put her in a much better position when we go for home. Carla's way had the run of the race last time out. I think she might be slightly flattered in that performance. 
performance. So hopefully she can they can both run big races. But for me, Porta Fortuna is an is an absolute steal, and it will be wonderful for another O'Brien to get the hands on a Breeders' Cup trophy because it's going right through the family at the moment. And Donica, who probably has had the more quiet sort of spell as as a trainer, he he did he didn't hit the ground running as quickly as Joseph did out the saddle. Both of them absolutely mustard jockeyed in the saddle, but out the saddle, Donica O'Brien was probably a little bit forgotten. And it's great to see him actually doing the business now. This season's been really strong and he'll be a real diehard at the market. He's been at every sale. I remember when I used to work at Goss up in Doncaster, you see him at every single sale possible. And there's a lot of trainers who will send representatives. There's a lot of trainers who look at not even attending certain sales. He's going to everyone trying to find these diamonds in the rough. And hopefully the support that he's getting now from owners will be strengthened if he has himself a Breeders' Cup winner. Great stuff, Callum. We look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Look forward to it too, Peter, anytime you like. Next up, I get to chat with one of my own personal favorite handicappers, a guy that I have much to bond over, including our uh, incredible respect for my friend and mentor, and a friend of mentors, his as well, the great Harvey Pack. We now bring in from Daily Racing Form, Dan Illman. Dan, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Always great to talk to you. Well, we're here to talk about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile specifically. But before we dive into that race, I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the stuff that Daily Racing Form has coming up. I know there's a lot of great content already coming at DRF.com, more coming down the video side of things. What should people be on the lookout for? Well, that's for the video side of things. The team will be out at Santa Anita. We'll be doing previews and with all of the talent that DRF has, a slew of handicappers, whether it's Brad Free and David Aragona, Andy Beyer will be doing a webinar, myself, Mike Beer, Steve Anderson, Marcus Hirsch. Everybody is on board, of course, for the Breeders' Cup. We'll have some great video handicapping previews. And, um, of course, on DRF.com, we'll be covering the races, race advances, race recaps, all the latest news and notes. Very, very cool. And you're, you're doing the BC Advance again this year as well? I'm pretty sure we're doing the BC Advance, at least online. I've got to think we're doing it probably in print. Excellent, excellent. A lot of great information in there. And it's all going to be coming fast and furious. These pre-entries are going to arrive. We're going to have past performances. And then, boom, for the, 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 the serious horse players, there's not much else cooking besides that for, for the next 10 days, as well as the daily action, of course. But, you know, in terms of the big picture of life, Breeders' Cup definitely taking center stage. I threw it open to you which race you wanted to talk about today. And without hesitation, you picked the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. What, for you, makes this such an interesting contest? Well, it's a great regional matchup, isn't it? We've got two nice ones from the East Coast and two nice ones from the West. From the East, we've got Locked and we've got Timberlake, and I think they're both very good. And on the West, well, it's Bob Baffert's world out there. We've got the $2 million trainee, Muth, and we've got Prince of Monaco's kind of kind of unexposed, isn't he? He's undefeated, but he missed his last prep. Baffert gave him a lot of time since he won the Del Mar Futurity, and he's kind of the other Baffert. How many times have we seen that in major races in Southern California? They look like the main protagonists in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, but a pretty nice supporting cast as well. Yeah, when I was looking at this race, I just kept coming back to this big four, and I had the theory that because of divided loyalties of race goers, uh, handicappers between those four, you might see a decent priced favorite in this race. I mean, do you really see this as pretty much of a four-way vibe between those two, or does you do you ultimately lean one way or another when it's I'm going to lean towards the East Coast horses. And it's not the East Coast bias that a lot of fans like to <laughs> complain that us handicappers have that are based here on the East Coast. I just like what I've seen from both Locked and Timberlake. And I guess of the two, Timberlake might offer a slightly more value because handicappers might downgrade his win in the Champagne, A, over a sloppy track, B, around a one-turn mile. Now he's going to have to stretch out two turns over a fast track. But I'm really not worried about distance. I think his dam was a true stayer overseas, one of something like four. 14 furlongs and this horse has run well on fast dirt in the past my concern with Timberlake is that he's not really the kind of horse that breaks great out of the gate he's kind of got to get himself into position but I just think he's learning as for Locked his two races uh, were very very impressive uh, from Saratoga the maiden win going the mile out of the shoot was just a blowout performance and last time out in the Breeders Futurity wide trip what impressed me the most Pete was that 
his first thrust was parried by that little street fighter, the wine steward, the New York Red. He had every reason to just run second after that, but he just refused to lose. I have a feeling he's a pretty special horse that's going to want to go long as well. I'm easily sold on on him. I just think that the the toughness is there. The improvement is there. My question for you about Timberlake, I guess I am holding, I'm, I'm not necessarily willing to take the champagne literally because of the surface. And I keep looking back to that hopeful. And you know, I know he had a horrible, horrible trip, but it was just so slow that I'm like, I'm finding myself having a little bit of trouble fully embracing Timberlake. Talk me, talk me out of it. Or, or, I think, or, I, I think a lot of folks are having trouble with the hopeful. You look at that race, and no knock against Nutella Fella, who's unfortunately been battling some foot issues. Looks like he won't make the Breeders' Cup. Uh, that horse ran very well in the hopeful. But you're right. The buyer's speed figure came back dreadfully slow. And there were just some notable no-shows in that race. But the way I'm looking at it is I'm just going to draw a line through it. I just have a feeling that was one of those weird races where things happened, a long shot won, I'm just not that interested in the race. Plus, Timberlake was wearing blinkers that day. They took the blinkers off for the champagne. He seemed a lot more comfortable in the early portion. Maybe it was the wet track. I'd like to think that without the blinkers, maybe he relaxed a little bit more going the extra distance. So for me, the hopeful is just kind of a throwout race. Uh, I think there were a couple of no-shows. Some of those horses have come back and have run just fine. So I'm not really that worried. I think you make a compelling case not to get too worried about that when we have an important bit of form since. It feels like you've already, you, am I right that you're a little bit maybe leaning towards Muth as opposed to Prince of Monaco in terms of the Southern California form, or are you still sort of trying to separate those two? I'm kind of up in the air. Muth did win around two turns last time out. I know he beat sort of the other, other Baffert in this race, uh, but that race just did not look very strong on paper. I did like the way Muth showed the ability to rate which was a bit concerning going two turns. Maybe he was going to be a speedball. That was not the case. Um, I wonder if that was kind of his Breeders' Cup, though. I, I'm just getting going back to, to the undefeated Baffert horse, Prince of Monaco, and I'm thinking to myself, his race was very workmanlike, wasn't it, in the Del Mar Futurity? It was a race where he was something like 1-20. to 20. He didn't win like a 1-20 to 20 shot. The horse he beat is, of course, another Baffert horse, Miramati, who is still a maiden and hasn't been seen since. But I just like the fact, it's, you know, I, I think a lot of folks don't like the fact that Baffert skipped the, Ameri the American pharaoh with this horse. I, I like it. I, I think he wanted to give this horse another month to mature. And perhaps he is more physically mature now and is ready for a breakout performance. Um, it's probably going to all come down to price for me between those two. And it might be a toss up even there. Outside of this quartet that you and I are both focusing on, is there one or two in particular you think are worth putting forward maybe to either separate those or even pull the upset in the juvenile? We have to talk about the Japanese Raider, don't we, Pete? Koro Neo, who is still uh, a maiden after two lifetime starts, simply because the Japanese have had such great success on the international stage in recent years. And this is a kind of odd pedigree. It's turfy on the bottom, but he's by Bernardini, one of those just notorious stallions whose progeny just don't seem to handle turf at all. And this horse debuted on turf and did nothing. And I watched his last race. They cut him all the way back to six furlongs at, uh, at Han Shin. And he closed like man of war in the stretch. He must have made up something like 15 lengths. It was a remarkable run from a horse that was just completely out sprinted. I have no idea what he was in against that day, but he at least showed he could handle dirt and he was flying at the end. The concern is, is that running style really going to work at Santa Anita, especially if he's run off his feet early, but simply because he's here, he showed some life. We've seen the Japanese horses run well and he's bred for two turns makes him somewhat interesting. Yeah, I mean, at the kind, I mean, I'm assuming you're still going to be dealing with just an absolutely massive price, despite massive. all the success that the Japanese have had on the world stage. One other that I wanted to ask you about in particular, a horse that Jonathan, when we talked about this race, was interested in almost as much as the top four. He, to him, it's not a four, it's a five at the top, with general partner being the other horse. I think it's a little bit interesting in a price, but I was just curious to get somebody else's perspective on general partner and how serious of a contender he might be for this. Well, he's a serious contender if you believe he can get loose on the lead. And I, I think that's a chance in there because I'm not sure they really want to go 
all out with Moo Thurley, especially after he showed that he could rate. And Prince of Monaco seems like a very rateable type as well. Locked, we know, is sort of a mid-pack runner. And I think, as I mentioned, Timberlake, not great from the gate. He's more of a stalker. There is a good chance that this horse can get to the lead. I really liked what I saw when he graduated, going seven furlongs at Saratoga. And last time out, I don't mind Manny Franco, what he tried to do there. He tried to slip away through a very quick third quarter on the lead. He opened it up, and he just got run down by Timberlake. Perhaps he's simply better over fast going. I'm a little bit curious, as a Spitestown out of a distorted humor mare, how far he wants to go against grade one competition at this point. But nothing wrong with betting a speed horse at a price. He could be the fifth choice in here. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Uh, any other thoughts? Anybody else you want to pull in here for a for a quick mention before I uh, let you get back to your workday, Dan? Again, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come join us here. What do you do with fierceness, Pete? I'm more interested in your opinion on this horse because he was so, so impressive. Breaking his maiden first time out for Todd Pletcher over a wet track, and then he shows up in the champagne. He's odds on over a wet track. He doesn't break well. He's wide. Maybe it wasn't the ideal trip. He didn't pick his feet up. He was bad. I think the fact that Todd's here is is a pretty good sign. It's interesting. I did think that there might have been some flow-aided stuff in the big number two back. You know, that race was really run to suit. He might have been on the right part of a racetrack, too. So I just can't support coming off something so bad. Now, having said that, this is the kind of horse who especially as a price, if we get to clap eyes on during the week and is clearly training way better, I'm not going to be stubborn about this. But from where I sit now, I think in a deep and competitive running of this race, I have to be uh, leaving that one on the outside looking in. Uh, I think that's probably a good point. It'll leave it down to price. I mean, if he is dismissed at something like 15 or 20 to 1, considering that he has shown some speed, he at least could prove a nuisance to general partner early and maybe set things up for other horses. But, you know, kind of in Todd, I trust, has always been a good angle over the years. This horse has shown some ability. He's still a little bit unexposed. I mean, we are on the happy hour, and we have to talk about the wine steward and wind me up, don't we? I mean, the yes. wine steward, I, I just, I, I really love these He's a great little guy isn't he i mean while lock he had such a bunch of a better trip than lock did last time out in the breeders maturity tracked the pace from the pocket after breaking from the rail but boy he gave it his all he was belly low the last 16th of a mile and lock just beat him and while i really like this horse as a horse i have a feeling that's the very best he can do and he might have to do better i think that's a fair assessment but i mean it's absolutely the kind of horse that will have some big prizes i think by his name at some stage, whether it's in the New York bred ranks or here. And yes, so that would have been an epic host fail if I didn't get the mention of the alcohol horse or alcohol <laughs> horses in the juvenile here on Horse Player Happy Hour. And also uh, we're going to use this for double duty on our monster pod as well. It's great to have you here, Dan. Look forward to seeing you out in Santa Anita and uh, Godspeed, my friend. Hey, it's always great talking to you and uh, good luck to everybody in the BC. $1 million on the line in the juvenile turf. And we bring in a man, uh, an international racing expert. But I believe, if I remember correctly, this race is a particular speciality of his. He is now in California from his home base in Dubai. He's Adolfson Racing. Michael Adolfson, how are you, my man? Doing well. You know, uh, the juvenile turf is one of my favorite races. And um, every year I seem to thrive in it or at least get pretty close. And to be honest, um, right now I'm just hoping that uh, – it's the, that I can just keep it going. I love it. Well, do you have a strong opinion yet? Let's we'll start. We'll start there. Are you in the Are you in the process of figuring out, or do you do you already kind of know where you're going? I'm still. I'm leaning. I'm leaning certain ways, but but I need to. I'd like to see the horses in person. It's getting to that point. It's kind of like last year, where I was. I was leaning different ways, but as soon as I saw Victoria Road in person, it was over. Um, so it was, but this year I have a, I've narrowed it down to a couple of them, and um, even one that uh, on the um, one of the long, a couple of the long shots I think I want to see in person as well that are that are local. Great. Well, we'll be talking to you about that, holding your feet to the fire selection-wise uh, as we get closer to the Breeders' Cup. But from this far out, I feel like the discussion of the juvenile turf probably should begin with our friends from Coolmore. Would you agree with that <laughs> assessment? What do you think of their uh, contingent? I mean, the race goes through them. They have the, the first and second choices, I believe, in the market right now. Um, 
Unquestionable is probably the best of theirs, uh, on paper at least. And he's going to be extremely tough. He comes out of the perfect prep race. I love seven furlong Longchamp races leading into eight furlong American races. Um, it was a fast race he comes out of. He ran extremely well. He's a bit push, push button. And he was coming off a layoff, so he should move forward off of that run. Um, River Tiber, their other one, uh, I wouldn't be shocked, shocked if he's a six to one right now on the market, and I wouldn't be shocked if he cuts in half from that. So get on him if you like him. Um, and um, I think that he's, Mountain Bear is a little bit outclassed, but he comes off a really nice win. Uh, so I think they're just t trying to strike all the irons hot with him. Uh, he's going to be a little bit up against it. And Johannes Brahms has to step up his game, but has proven in all four of his starts that he's very consistent. You see these Aiden O'Brien horses come that aren't even, uh, you know, their number one seed. Often they'll finish in the first four, first five. They're just good enough to, to take a piece home. So if you're using, go into your exotics, don't leave out his long shots. I was going to ask you about Mountain Bear. I mean, the form bears some resemblance without having specifically looked at it, but it's clicking a box in my memory of looking a bit like uh, hit it a bomb back in 15. But there weren't other huge uh, A-teamer types like we're seeing, mm -hmm. uh, in my view, with River Tiber and Unquestionable here. And that does make me wonder if he could be wanting for class. Where do you where do you sort of land on Mountain Bear from this from this far out and in, and include? I, I'm not, I'm not going to, he's not an A horse for me at all. Uh, I think he's a C at best. Um, and uh, I think he can get a piece of this rallying from far back. Um, and I think that's going to be his, his goal. Uh, but this is not Keeneland. The, 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 the last to first rally in miles on the grass is not as kind. You have to do what, say, Caraconti did in the mile a few years ago, which is hit every scene perfectly from three quarters mm -hmm. of the way back. Um, so it, it's looping around is not as, is not as, uh, effective, um, in this race. And I think that you have to have horses with a bit of pace. Um, and if they're sprinter types that, that can settle a little bit, I think that works really well. We saw, you know, Wesley Ward's horse win this race with Frankie a, a decade ago. Hootenay, um, yeah. Um, with that similar profile, but yeah, I think the the top two for Aiden are are head and shoulders above the second two. But the second two are no, they're not bums. They are ones that I think will finish in the first half of the field. I think I wouldn't be shocked if all four finish in the first half of the field. Any uh, ability from this far out to try to separate unquestionable and, and River Tiber, or is that the kind of decision we'll be making as we get closer to the time? I mean, this is the uh, this is lazy, but I'm gonna see where Ryan goes. <laughs> right, right. So. And the only that'll that'll tell us and try to look for some interviews with him or even talk to him ourselves and be like, why did you choose this horse? Um, not that he's going to be forthcoming, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that there's a there, there, there's an angle there where you see where he, he, he really is leaning because he was very high on River Tiber around Ascot and they were everybody was was he was the talk um, a bit there. Uh, oh, yeah. And he ran he rode him like a horse who had he had no doubt whatsoever that he was going to win even though he won by a head so um so it's it was that horse is, is obviously and any horse that goes into the middle park is highly thought of by Aiden um to me I think that unquestionable fits the profile a little bit better of the horse that wins this race um he's a little more handy I think um and he'll put himself where he needs to go uh and he's coming off a race where I don't think he was he was he had a chance to win that race from the moment they tipped out. I think that he was um, he was the mouse and Rosalian was the cat and they, he was just going to get caught. But he ran a huge race. And I just like the moment he got tapped, the moment he got hit, he took off. And that's what I want to see, because this stretch is a whole lot shorter than the three and a half furlongs at Longchamp. Yep, yep. Not a lot of time to get going. What of the Godolphin runner in here? Appleby's success. Well known. Uh, what, what do you think of Legend of Time? I love him. <laughs> well, I think I just love his, I love his price. He's like eight or nine to one right now. And, um, you know, I don't know if we're going to get that in parimutuals. Um, but I think he's getting, to me, that tells me that he's getting, now 10 to one, um, he's getting a bit of respect despite his lower numbers. He's only raced twice. He's, uh, I think, at the beginning of September, he had a very nice win that was much better than the margin shows. That would look a little bit weak on paper because the Wafe, the horse he beat, finished, came back and, and, and um, defecated the bedchamber after that. And then, uh, uh, but 
the form coming out of the Tattersalls, the group three Tattersalls is rock solid. Um, the horses that beat him finished second and third in the Dewhurst. So That's and he was and he was and he was running through the line. This horse is just figuring it out. I, I there's I think that he's he's handy enough and agile enough to be in the right spots. Um, he fits more along the lines of um, the Galileo Colt that Charlie won with. Name is escaping me. <laughs> um, a few years back. Uh, I almost have it, but I don't want to guess wrong. I know who you mean. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think that he's going to be. I think he's going to be right there. I think there if he if he's throwing him on the plane, considering how deep his army is, uh, I think that he thinks highly of the horse. The only thing I worry about, he is a see the stars. He's out of a mare that we know from Roger Atfield and Kissable, yep. and she was an eleven furlong, twelve furlong mare. See the stars horses are ten and twelve furlongs. Is the Santa Anita glorified seven furlongs um going to be, be a little sharp yeah yeah so yeah. either and also he's gonna have to be pushed a little more than he ever has because his first two races you can tell william was kind of babying him and just trying to teach him he's very green um but as soon as he asked him as soon as the horse figured it out he's on it so i just think that if he's moved forward again and charlie's like this is the one that goes uh 10 to 1 looks lovely <laughs> Interesting. Sounds like that might be your lean from this far out at the price. I'm I'm leaning there, but as soon as like the market kicks in and, and he shows up and on the UK punters are on the grounds there for coral, <laughs> etc. And and all of a sudden we're um they're talking they're tweeting about it and he's four to one. You know, like then then I'm just gonna be like, Well, I should have jumped on it when I could, and I probably am, to be honest. I'm gonna jump on the ten to one. Um just because I think it's probably twice what he'll go off. We obviously have to spend some time talking about the local hopes. Do you give any of them a chance to upset this uh, foreign brigade? There are two long shots, I think. I mean, we obviously have to talk about the ones that have done well. Agate Road has very few, you know, flaws, except for the fact that he doesn't like to break and he's um, a bit slow um, getting to the getting to the into the game. Um, I think that Carson's runs a decent horse. He, you know, they, these are these are animals that that have earned their way into the spot but i think that watching trip notes in this i would oof, i would definitely take um uh out of all the horses that in, in the major preps i think the most impressive to me was and he's 50 to 1 right now is talk talk i think right. he got he got i think he was easily the best horse probably in the bourbon i don't want to say easily like it's the biggest thing ever but i i do think that he was probably the best horse in the bourbon if he had a clear run and I love that even though he had a lot of traffic, the horse was trying to go through. So, yeah. and he was push button and motion has stayed the course with him. I don't think he's just in there because the Wertheimer is like a party. Um, so I, I think he's, he's coming in with it with a very good horse. Um, Fulmineo, I obviously had a trip note behind Agate Road, maybe was the best horse in the race or was at least very, but a little closer than the finish. Um, he's one that I think will come forward and the other one, I think Arnold Delacour's two horses are very, very much going to outrun their odds there. I mean, but of all of them, I, the horse hasn't even gotten the race and it'll probably be the longest shot on the board that nobody's paying attention to is Stay Hot. His, what was the name? His, he's, the name's probably going to ruin his price. <laughs> um, but I think, I think if you're looking for a bomb to throw into your top four that will probably run well and looks like a serious horse, Stay Hot, to me, ran a better race than any, his maiden than uh, any of the horses in the prep in the Zuma Beach. Uh, I think it was just very good. Uh, if you go back, the time was faster, too. Um, and I just think he's, he's just extremely good. So if you're looking, I think that Unquestionable and, and Legend of Time are probably my A horses right now. Under them, I'm going to put River Tiber, but I'm going to watch the market. If somebody if somebody gets cold, that obviously shouldn't be. I'm probably going to lean that way because I go for value over everything. Um, and underneath of them, I'm going to put my long shots. I got Stay Hot if he draws in. He's first. He's first in the reserves. Uh, talk Talk, and um, Fulmineo and uh, Air Recruit. So some I mean, ideas for a big big trifecta potentially. Um, even with a, a fancied O'Brien runner in there, that's going to pay if uh, if if it comes in. And we'll check in with you again as we get closer to the time when you mm -hmm. are on the grounds and formulate some more uh, opinions. But really appreciate your time today, Michael, and look forward to seeing you in a couple days' time. Thanks so much. Let's make some money again.
That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Really appreciate everybody tuning in and especially the help of all of our guests. I'd list them all, but it would just take too long. I've done that some years as a little challenge to myself. This year, I'm a little bandwidth challenge writing uh, 200 capsule entries about various Breeders' Cup horses. We'll be no showing off on the show, but there will be some more thank yous. Our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. So great to have had them with us from the beginning around here. We always love to root for the purple and black. And if you're somebody who wants to give to Thoroughbred Aftercare and the great work that the TRF does with humans and horses, there's still time to take advantage of the Hade Drive matching guarantee. Mention that as a note when you leave your donation. If you donate 200, we'll round up a bottle of In the Money whiskey to send you as a thank you. We've got these bottles of rye, four-year-old rye, delicious empire rye, aged a further four months in apple brandy barrels. It's delicious and showing very, very well. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In the Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. If you're in the thoroughbred racing industry or interested in getting more involved, I want to recommend that you attend the RTIP conference out in Arizona. It's going to be happening in early December, and there are great panels. Really looking forward to several of them this year. The Storytellers panel is always amazing. There's going to be some great information on Category 1 stewarding on CAWs, the computer-assisted wagering players. It's also just a grade one networking opportunity. I've gone the last few years and I don't plan on missing one. And if you want to attend, you can go to the RTIP website. You can get there through our pretty link in the money podcast.com slash RTIP and look into getting your tickets today.